earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. We're up to session 18 today. We've been devoting considerable time in these sessions to scrutinize a particular list of well-known Bible passages, ones we thought meant one thing, but discovering that in their context, they actually reveal something different or something deeper. If you missed any sessions, just go to faithtalk1360.com, search the menu for local program podcasts, then scroll to a word from the word. Friends, I've also been reinforcing a truth tied to this series. Oh, that first means that. Reinforcing truths is a good thing, right? Well, here's my reminder once again. The Bible has a story to tell, doesn't it? In fact, it's crying out, screaming out to tell us its story. But sadly, many times we preachers, teachers, and pastors, as well as Christians in general, make even force or manipulate the Bible to tell our story. And whether we do this knowingly or unknowingly, I still say shame on us. Friends, today's session 18 is, His Stripes Have Done What? And we'll have to grab our detective's magnifying glass again and hold it over a thorny text, one that has divided the body of Christ into two factions, because today's text is Isaiah 53.5. Probably the most common English wording we've become used to is from the King James. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And in order to put the pieces of this jigsaw puzzle together correctly, we'll need to unpack some of these words we've come to know in English. But before we do this, friends, let's listen to Isaiah 53.5 in some reputable translations, beginning with a few Hebrew versions. First up is the 1917 Jewish Publication Society, Tanakh, which was the standard for a long time before it was revised in 1985. The 1917 edition says, But he was wounded because of our transgressions. He was crushed because of our iniquities. The chastisement of our welfare was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. The 1985 Revised Translation says, But he was wounded because of our sins, crushed because of our iniquities. He bore the chastisement that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. In 2011, the Messianic Jewish Family Bible Society, with the combined support of many Messianic congregations and synagogues, created a distinctively Messianic translation of the whole Bible, called the Tree of Life Version, the TLV, which translates Isaiah 53.5, But he was pierced because of our transgressions, 
crushed because of our iniquities. The chastisement for our shalom was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Friends, there's a good reason why some of our respected English translations have slightly different wording, and we'll get to that in a moment. But here's a few of them. The 1995 NAS says, But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement for our well-being fell upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. The 2017 CSB says, But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. The 1989 NRSV says, But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. The 2019 Net Bible says, He was wounded because of our rebellious deeds, crushed because of our sins. He endured punishment that made us well. Because of his wounds, we have been healed. And finally, the 2015 NLT says, But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Now, friends, while the meaning of words and phrases is significant, ultimately the measuring stick for interpretation must be the contextual usage of these words and phrases by the original writers. Additionally, every major respected Hebrew translation, traditional and messianic, as well as English translations of Isaiah 53.5, all begin with, but he was alerting us that we can't simply disconnect this statement from the one before it. In other words, wrench it out from its surrounding statements. And the initial primary context of these co-joined statements is actually Isaiah 52.13 through 53.12. Verse 12, ending chapter 53. So, friends, in today's session, I'm going to read all 15 verses, since 53.5 is virtually dead center. And I'll be reading from the Tree of Life version, from the Messianic Jewish Family Bible Society. Isaiah 52.13 through 53.12, for the full, immediate context. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted, just as many were appalled at you. His appearance was disfigured more than any man, his form more than the sons of men. So he will sprinkle many nations. And let's pause here. The Hebrew for sprinkle basically has two meanings, startle and sprinkle. But the overall context of chapters 52 and 53, describing the suffering servant, warrants the preferred use of sprinkle. This word is used in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers for the sprinkling of the blood of the sacrificial animal. It's even translated spatter in 2 Kings 9.33 for Jezebel's death, thrown out of a window to the ground and trampled by horses. In the fall, some of her blood spattered on the wall. Friends, we can rightly infer that the sprinkling of many nations here in 52.15 is linked to 53.11. The righteous one, my servant, will make many righteous, and he will bear their iniquities. This is an amazing prediction of the role of the Messiah's blood affecting our salvation. 
The text continues, Kings will shut their mouths because of him, for what had not been told them they will see, and what they had not heard they will perceive. Who can believe what we have heard, or who has believed our report? To whom is the arm of Yahweh revealed? The Lord's arm is often a symbol for God's power at work. Here Isaiah's arm is personified by using he in the next verse. He is defined as the servant, a veiled reference to the Messiah. Friends, we can infer from this expression, the arm of Yahweh, that it's a reference to Jesus Christ. So, to whom has the arm of Yahweh been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And grief here, friends, has a range of meanings. Grief, afflictions, disease, illness, sickness. It also means malady, anxiety, calamity. It's amazing how Jesus can relate to our human condition and all of our ills, huh? Text continues, One from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our pains or suffering. Yet we esteemed him stricken, struck by God and afflicted. A great Hebrew word meaning humbled, oppressed, mishandled, even weakened. But he was pierced or pierced through, wounded because of our transgressions. Another great word, meaning rebellion or rebellious acts, even breaching or breaking trust, crushed because of our iniquities. Again, friends, a great word, meaning wicked, unjust, unrighteous, or immoral acts, worthy of punishment, often rendered sin. The chastisement for our shalom, in other words, our peace, and we'll unpack this word shortly. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Our phrase under scrutiny today. We all like sheep have gone astray. And friends, I can't pass this word up either. In the ancient Near East, it was used to describe an intoxicated person wandering around or reeling aimlessly. Mentally and morally, it meant to err, be misled, seduced, or deceived. Wow! Sure sounds like the fallen human race, doesn't it? Each of us, or everyone, turned to his own way. So Yahweh laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Because of oppression and judgment he was taken away. Judgment here is a legal term, the act of deciding a case, litigation, also a court or seat of judgment, even the sentence pronounced and the following execution ordered. My take on this is that it's an Old Testament picture of the Messiah, Jesus, being led away to the various trials he endured prior to his being crucified. Text continues, As for his generation, who considered? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, the stroke was theirs. Hmm. Interesting, right, friends? 
Sounds a lot like Peter's sermon in Acts 2. Read Acts 2, 22 through 24. His grave was given with the wicked and by a rich man in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased or delighted Yahweh. This word implies being satisfied. So it pleased Yahweh to bruise him. He caused him to suffer. If he makes his soul a guilt offering... Hebrew translations favor guilt here, whereas English translations gravitate between guilt and sin. The Hebrew word here points to the more breach in relationship that sin caused. The suffering servant fulfilled this offering as the substitutionary death and final ransom for sinners who've been alienated from God due to willful disobedience. Jesus the Messiah, by offering himself, provides the reconciliation with Yahweh for both Jews and Gentiles. And friends, here's where we make that bridge to shalom or peace I mentioned earlier. The TLV has shalom for 53.5, whereas other translations have peace. And we must be careful with this word and not assume that in every place it refers to peace as we think of it serenity, lack of conflict, etc. In many places, peace means reconciliation. Paul brings out and reiterates this truth in Ephesians 2. We Christ followers have been given a ministry of reconciliation, a mission to reconcile people to God. The extension of this action should also lead us to reconcile ruptured relationships with one another. Read Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, and 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, which details this ministry of reconciliation. Text continues, If he makes his soul a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and will of Yahweh will succeed by his hand. As the result of the anguish of his soul, he'll see it and be satisfied. The righteous one, my servant, will be made will make many righteous. We know this as justification, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I'll give him a portion with the great, and he'll divide the spoil with the mighty, because he poured out his soul to death and was counted with the transgressions. For he bore the sins of many and interceded for the transgressors. Phew! That was sure a mouthful, but a rich portion of Scripture, right, friends? Well, before we unpack things any further, I want us to observe something incredibly important as we broach this topic. Seven times in these 15 verses, transgressions or iniquities appear. In the first half of verse 5, both words appear. And in verse 6, there's iniquities along with the phrases, We all like sheep have gone astray, and each of us turned to his own way. Friends, this immediate context alone should be sufficient to define the topic at hand, which is salvation accompanied by forgiveness and reconciliation for sinners who've rebelled against God. The Jewish word peace in 53.5 clearly intends to communicate the peace of reconciliation supported by and elaborated on by Paul in Ephesians 2 and 2 Corinthians 5, as I shared earlier. Additionally, 
pieces of Isaiah 53, 4, and 5 are quoted by two New Testament authors, Matthew in Matthew 8, 14 through 17, and Peter in 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25, which supply us with ample commentary to conclude that this portion of Isaiah has as its zenith procuring salvation and not salvation and sickness, as if sickness went along for the ride. Now, don't misunderstand me, friends. I'm not saying that any physical human healing that occurs in this life is not due to Christ's work on the cross. What I'm saying and what I contend the scriptures say, properly interpreted in their contexts, is that physical human healings are provisionally granted but are not provisionally guaranteed on all occasions, as one segment of the body of Christ claims. In other words, physical human healing is not inherent in Christ's atonement. And this segment adds to its claim that physical human healing is guaranteed through the activation of our faith, or positively confessed into reality. It appears as healing on demand. So in reality, friends, the question is not, is the promise true, but rather, is the premise true? Let's take a sober look at Jesus' apostles and disciples and observe if they themselves operated on this premise. And just to be on the safe side, let's actually begin with Jesus and what is said of him by Matthew in Matthew eight fourteen through 17. You may recall this account. It's Jesus visiting Peter's house and healing his mother-in-law of a fever. After this, many people come to Jesus who were demon-possessed and sick, and Jesus healed them all. Now, curiously, Matthew adds this commentary on Isaiah 55.4, that this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Now, friends, let's grab our detective's magnifying glass and place it over Matthew 8.17. Notice Matthew quotes Isaiah 53.4 as being fulfilled during Jesus' three-year earthly ministry. In other words, Jesus was bearing all sicknesses before he died on the cross. Nowhere in Scripture does Jesus bear the sins of humankind before his death on the cross. So we mustn't equate the two, salvation and sickness, as some teachers unfortunately do. Any teaching that claims Jesus' death fulfilled the atoning for sicknesses is false. Additionally, Peter in 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Bore being one Greek word that means to carry up, offer up as a sacrifice to God. Peter finishes his thought with, You were like sheep going astray, but now you're returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This same Greek word used by Peter is used in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures. Isaiah 53.12 concludes with, For he bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. So this Greek word is used in relation to bearing the sin of humanity, yet Matthew 8.17 uses a different Greek word for bearing our sicknesses, meaning to lift, carry, endure. Interestingly, this word is never used for bearing sins. This word in Matthew 8.17 is also used by John the Baptist in Matthew 3.11 when he says, "...whose shoes I am not worthy to bear." 
Paul also uses it in Galatians 6 2 when he says, Bear one another's burdens. Paul uses it again in Romans 15 1, saying, We who are strong ought to bear with the infirmities or sicknesses of the weak. Friends, nowhere in the New Testament does Jesus or any other writer tell a believer to bear the sins of another. If our infirmities and sicknesses were eradicated in the atonement, then the Holy Spirit didn't get the memo. In Romans 8.26 we read, The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Same word as Romans 15.1, including infirmities or sicknesses. If our infirmities and sicknesses were eradicated in the atonement, then the Apostle Paul didn't get the memo either. In 2 Corinthians 11.30, Paul boasts in his weaknesses. Same word. He also hears the Lord say in 2 Corinthians 12.8 that his grace is sufficient for his power is made perfect in weaknesses. And Paul goes on to say he's going to boast gladly in these weaknesses so that Jesus' power may rest on him. And if that weren't enough, he then says he's going to dull light in his weaknesses. Friends, if our infirmities and sicknesses were eradicated in the atonement, what purpose does Romans 8.23 have, which says, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. And what value would Revelation 21 and 22 have, promising that in resurrection glory, believers will experience no sickness, pain, suffering, or death. Did Paul have spiritual amnesia and just forget the atonement promise in Philippians regarding Epaphroditus, his co-worker and fellow soldier? When he said, Epaphroditus is distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and spared me sorrow upon sorrow. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. Paul left Trophimus sick in Miletus, 2 Timothy 4.20. He certainly didn't appeal to the atonement promise when he urged Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach and his frequent illnesses, 1 Timothy 5.23. Again, friends, if our infirmities and sicknesses were eradicated in the atonement, then James but not to get in the memo either. In James 5:14 through 16, what purpose did the ritual of anointing the sick person with oil and praying with faith over him serve? Even more interesting, the sick person wasn't required to have faith. The elders offering the prayer for healing would make the sick person well. Notice, James offers the key to understanding the healing process, and it somehow doesn't include the atonement promise. Rather, the prayer of faith believes, first, all things are possible with God, and second, the prayer of faith believes God will do whatever he has said. Faith is not believing that God will do what we ask him. Faith is believing that God is able to heal, and he will heal according to his will. Friends, something we as Christ followers must remember is that the kingdom of God has both present and future dimensions. Theologians call it the now and the not yet. And while there is provision for physical healing in the atonement in this age, the now, it's up to God in Christ to choose when and how it's dispensed. Like our resurrection body to come, perfect healing ultimately awaits Christ's return. 
It's only in the final consummation, the not yet, that all disease, suffering, conflict, and death are no more, as Revelation 21.4 promises. My take on this, friends, is that because the kingdom is present, we believers are healed from our sin and unrighteousness, and we're physically healed from time to time. And because the kingdom in its entirety is yet future, our ultimate physical healing, like our resurrected bodies, await the final decisive future reality. One commentator called this period the period of the confidently restless. In other words, we're confident yet restless in this in-between time where we still live. And so, friends, we're not left hopeless, yet the reality is that for now our present age is plagued by grief, sin, sickness, struggle, and evil. But God's grace is sufficient, isn't it? God provided us with hope in the midst of our pain and struggles and continues to encourage us to fulfill our mission, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, the one who can live now and the one who can look forward to in the future. And in these in-between times, let's not neglect to pray for the sick among us. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're at the end of our program, which will close with an email where you may write me. A Word from the Word is a listener-supported program, so kindly consider financially helping to keep this program on the air. Email me for the details. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with A Word from the Word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at A Word from the Word at minister.com that's a word from the word at minister.com